you would clear the clutter of our hearts and our minds and allow us to focus on what you have for us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need a Bible and you don't have one, we want to make sure you're there with us today. If you don't have one on like an app or on your phone or tablet or you don't have a physical copy, we have some. Uh, just slip your hand up and we'll bring some to you and make sure that you're there with us. And we'll be turning there in just a moment. But I want to tap into a common experience that many of us have who've grown up in churches on one of two extremes, on the end of the spectrum, where on one end you have uh, a version of Christianity that uh, is very legalistic. Uh, you maybe grew up in a church, a Christian church, that is all about rules and regulations. I remember uh, growing up, my mom's church uh, had a lot of that, especially for women. Uh, makeup not allowed. There's no makeup, there's no eyeliner. None of that. It's too beautifying, it's too uh, self-centered, too self-focused, uh, making yourself attractive to other men. You shouldn't do that. I remember even younger when I was at a Baptist church school, the teacher literally stood up in front of the class and talked about the length that a girl's skirt should be. They didn't talk about pants because pants aren't allowed. But the length of a skirt should be when you kneel down on the floor, the hem of the skirt should touch the floor. If it doesn't, that's too short. And so rules, regulations. You're not going to find the Bible verse that says skirt length, but they're adding rules to what we find in the Bible. But these aren't evil, sinister, villainous Christians. Maybe some of them, I don't know. But I love that teacher. And she wanted to teach us to pursue holiness. And she wanted us to have some real-life examples as to what modesty might look like. And honestly, I think if we lived by her rule uh, more than we live by our culture standards, we'd probably be better off. But then you have this other end of the spectrum of the kids that grew up in that church and they can't stand that they're sick of it and so they plant their own churches and these churches are free and they're, they're just exercising their freedom and they, and they drink and the women wear pants and there's makeup and it's not a big deal. And we want to be low on the extra rules and the extra regulations and not be judgy. They can go to the movies. They can go out to the theater. My mom's church, if you are seen walking out of a theater, they will assume you saw the worst movie in that theater. The fact that you were in a theater that showcases the worst movies, even if you were there to watch a Disney movie, and even the Disney movies, they don't unpack the Disney movie and show you how it was demonic. The Smurfs are evil because they practice witchcraft. He-Man is evil because there's only one master of the universe. You weren't allowed to watch anything. And then the other end of the spectrum where we go, forget rules, forget regulations. Jesus came to free us from all those rules and regulations so we could take all those rules and regulations and traditions and interpretations and application and we stick them in a big box called irrelevant because now we're free in Jesus Christ. So we don't really know what to do with laws. We don't really know what to do with rules and regulations, especially the ones that we do see in the Old Testament. Some of them sound relevant, like thou shalt not kill. Probably still pretty relevant. But then others of them about your kitchen and how you cook food and not eating shellfish. We're like, eh, I don't know about that. 
And so we're not sure what to do with laws and rules and regulations, especially when we find them in the Old Testament, because we're taught by some extreme uh, that Jesus came to relieve us of the Old Testament. But I want to show you, before we get into the verse that we're actually going to be in this morning, I want to show you a verse, I want to remind you of this little passage, little bomb that Jesus drops in the middle of this beloved Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, we don't have to turn there, I'm going to put it up here. Matthew 5.17, what does Jesus say about the law and the prophets? Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So he's speaking to the extremists. He just say, hey, Jesus came to kind of just dump the Old Testament laws. We don't really have to pay attention to them anymore. And he's going, no, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, and not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Well, what did he come to fulfill? Did he come to fulfill the big items? No, not a dot. Not, not, not a T is going to be uncrossed. Not an I is going to be undotted to use, kind of transliterated into our parlance until it's all accomplished. Therefore, this is indicting, whoever relaxes one of the least of the commandments, forget thou shalt not kill. Let's go to the ones that we're like, yeah, that can't matter anymore, right? If you relax the least of the commandments, and you teach others to do the same. Hello, churches on that other extreme. You teach others to relax it. You'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them, back up one second, whoever uh, does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, you know, as we've been walking through Mark, Jesus, they're already going at it. He's already going at it with the Pharisees and the scribes. And it's debatable who's picking on who. I mean, Jesus is, he knows what they're thinking, and he sets it up, you know. He's healing people on purpose right in front of them. He's breaking rules right in front of them, break, violating their traditions right in front of their faces. He knows what he's doing. And so they take the bait, and they go against Jesus. And so we see Jesus battling the Pharisees, right? And we think what Jesus is doing is the Pharisees, with all their rule following, forget those losers. Come be free with me, free of rules. And he's saying, no, be more strict. Be holier. Be more righteous than the Pharisees. Or you're not even in. So what do we do? Ignore the Old Testament? We better not. We better not ignore the Old Testament. But, but the Pharisees were doing something wrong. They were missing it somehow, weren't they? Otherwise, they wouldn't have been debates with Jesus. They would have embraced Jesus. It would have been easy to follow Jesus. And today, this is why many people have a hard time following Jesus. If you've ever tried to communicate the gospel to somebody, and they're going to know, what are the rules I have to follow? And you're like, no, it's not about following rules. And it's like they can't embrace that because they'd rather have a set of rules than be told that you just have to repent of all your crud. So what do we do with those rules? What do we do with the Old Testament? What do we do with the commands? What does Jesus do with them? We're going to see what Jesus does with it in Mark chapter 2, going into Mark chapter 3. So if you turn there, in your New Testament, it's the second book of the New Testament, right after Matthew. If you hit Luke, you went a little too far. And we're in Mark chapter 2. He's already rustled. So leaves, he's bothered the sensibilities of the scribes and the Pharisees. 
by touching unclean people, by telling somebody your sins are forgiven. Who can do that but God alone? And so he's, he's messing with them. And then now, we're going to find the focus of our discussion on one particular law in the Old Testament, and that's the Sabbath law. There's many examples we can use to talk about what we mean about rule following, how Jesus fulfills it, and what he demands of us. But we're going to focus on this one because that's the focus of these two episodes we see here, the Sabbath law. They want to trap Jesus, and this is how they're going to get him. The reason why they want to go after Jesus on the Sabbath is because in the Old Testament, it was made clear, if you break the Sabbath, you should be put to death. And what do they want to do with Jesus? Put him to death. So where do they have to catch him? Touching someone unclean, well, he has to go to the synagogue. He won't go to the synagogue. Why isn't he listening? What a pain in the neck. But break the Sabbath? Now we have a case. So this is why the Sabbath is important for their agenda. Verse 23 of chapter 2. One Sabbath. Now the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week. You're supposed to not work. The command is work six, rest one. That's how you honor the Lord and keep him holy. The fourth of the Ten Commandments. On one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence? which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. If you read it too quickly, it's, you, you may miss how he completely lacerates <laughs> the Pharisees. I mean, he's just waiting for it, and they come, and they pop the question. And he fires a three-tiered response. So what's happening here? They're on the Sabbath. They're plucking heads of grain. You can look through the Old Testament and see if there's anything illegal about plucking grain on the Sabbath. Well, you're not going to find it. This was their tradition. They said, okay, we're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. What constitutes work? Where does just doing something become working? Can't just stay in bed all day. If I get up out of bed, is that okay? Yeah. Can I walk a few paces? Right. But if you walk too many paces, that's work. Well, how many paces then? Well, let's help our people. And they came up with a number. This many paces, you're okay. That many paces, you're not okay. They came up with 39 classes, 39 categories of profaning the Sabbath. And some of them were obvious, like plowing. You're not allowed to plow. You're not allowed to hunt. You're not allowed to butcher your game. See, leave that for the other six days of the week. Uh, But what about more mundane things like writing? Can I write a letter to Grandpa? No. You're only allowed to write one letter. If you write two letters or a word, you profane the Sabbath. Can I? Oh, oops! I tore my shirt. Can I? Can I sew it? One stitch. You're allowed. If you sew two stitches, you profane the Sabbath. One stitch just to hold it together, and then tomorrow you can take it to the sewing machine and go to town and make it nice if you want, but not on the Sabbath. If your uh, son is playing 
and breaks his arm. And it's the Sabbath. You are not allowed to set your son's arm because it's the Sabbath. You're walking and oops, you tripped and you, your sandal didn't support your weight and you, you rolled your ankle. Leave it alone and let it swell as big as it's going to get, but you can't set it, you can't, you can't work on it until the Sabbath is over. If your roof collapses, not allowed to fix it. It's the Sabbath. You can prop it up temporarily. You have to live. But you're going to have to just put that pole and prop it and hope it holds because you're not allowed to fix that roof. If a building collapses, you're allowed to remove only as much debris as it takes to find the bodies. And if a body is alive, you can rescue the person that's alive. Well, thank you. But if the body's dead, leave it. It's the Sabbath. And let your loved ones sit there and rot for a day. That's where they came to. So, plucking green was one of their, on their list. You can't go and pluck green. The act of plucking is work. You should have done that Friday. It's Saturday. Shouldn't have done it. So this is where we find Jesus. He's walking in the field. He's, he, they're plucking green from the green field. And the Pharisees, obviously watching him, looking on at him. And then they, they make their approach. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus, his response is fascinating. He, he goes to Scripture because this is their authority. I mean, he doesn't want to go to their traditions and he doesn't want to go to their rabbis. He wants to go to what the Old Testament says. But he doesn't go to Sabbath laws. He goes to an occasion where David ate something that he wasn't supposed to eat by law. So that his men were famished, they were hungry, they were starving. And so he comes and tells the priest, I'm here on behalf of the king, give me the bread of the presence. The priest is like, okay, and gives it to David, and David shares it with his men. And Jesus refers to that incident in Scripture that's in 1 Samuel 21. But what's fascinating is what he's not doing here is he's not going... Haven't you read in the Old Testament that sometimes the rules are breakable? You can break them sometimes. That's what David did. It sounds like that's what he's doing, but that's not what he's doing. That'd be messy, right? You could just break them. We didn't really mean it. Oh, okay. Well, then you're going to end up in that place where you just break them all whenever you think it's necessary. But no, that's not really what Jesus is doing. He's setting them up. Jesus is laying a, almost like a trap. Not really a trap, but he's, he, he wants to get them to a certain place. And he wants to get them there. And he's going to use the scripture passage to get them there. Because he knows what their response is going to be. He's going to go, don't you remember in 1 Samuel, when David and his men went to the priest and they ate this bread that they're not supposed to eat? What's their response going to be? Their response is going to be, yeah, but he's David. He's the anointed king. He's the greatest king in all of Israel. David is mighty. David is the one from whom the promised Messiah, the promised anointed one, will come. David is the one whose house will reign forever because David is the one that's going to produce the one that's going to reign and have dominion and glory forever. His throne is going to be forever. That's David. I think he can get a pass. That's their response. 
Surely that's what they're thinking. He's using an example from David. Yeah, but that's David. What's Jesus' response to that? Keep going. You know what family I was born from? You know what town I was born in? Do you know the prophecies I've already fulfilled? I'm from the house of David. I am David. I am the king. In other words, you're coming up to David and going, hey, you can't eat the bread of the presence. But in the Old Testament, even the priests knew, this is David, give him the bread. So Jesus isn't squabbling about traditions and interpretations. He's not going to go, well, how many paces, how many stitches, how much sewing? No. I'm the son of David. He's drawing not an excuse from the Old Testament. See, there's an excuse. There's exceptions. That's not what he's doing. What he's saying is the reason why it was an exception was because it was King David. And that's who you're talking to. Just in case that's not clear, he keeps going. The second part of his argument is what the Sabbath is for. He says in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You don't understand what the Sabbath is for, and that's why you have to come up with all these rules and regulations, and that's why it's gotten so ridiculous with how much you can sew, and you can't set an ankle, and what to do with a collapsed roof, and how to handle bodies in a, in a collapsed building. And you guys are far, so far down this road with your 39 categories, and each of those categories takes forever to unpack with all these little nitpicky rules, because you don't get it. And I'm telling you, the purpose of Sabbath is not because God needs it. It's because man needs it. It's for man. It's to serve man. Man isn't created to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was instituted to serve man, to help man worship God. And so it's a help to man. And you're taking it to this extreme where it's a weight on man. You don't even want to go anymore. You don't want to do anything because you're so scared of breaking a rule. I'm not going to walk any paces. I'm not going to sow anything at all. I'm not going to apply first aid to anybody. Because going and getting the band-aid is work, so I'm scared. I just bleed. Sit there and bleed. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to profane the Sabbath. Somebody else profane the Sabbath. You guys are completely missing the purpose of the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath, God gave it to you so you can stop worrying. Not worry more. So you can stop going, I need more food. I need to hunt again. Because what if the winter is cold and you're just worrying and not trusting that God is going to provide? So stop. Stop working. Stop crunching the numbers. Stop thinking that if you just produce a little bit more, you can make next week more comfortable. You can't. God does it. How ironic that the Sabbath had become another source of worry and burden on the people. What would their response be to that? Probably... Who are you to, to tell us what the purpose of the Sabbath is? Now notice Jesus doesn't quote a verse. Remember that verse that says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath? He's not quoting a verse because he's establishing that he's the king. I make verses. And I'm telling you the purpose of the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath is that it was made for man, and man wasn't made for the Sabbath. And just in case you miss it there, his third response, verse 28, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now right there, he's just making it, he's making it plain. In the Old Testament, anytime you see the word Lord in full caps, that's the word Yahweh, the strictly God's name, right? When Moses was at the burning bush, 
And he's like, who should I say sent me? And he's saying, God, Yahweh, I am. The Greek translation of that word is Lord. So you wouldn't walk around and say, I'm Lord. But Jesus, Jesus is saying, this is in reference to him. The Son of Man is already a term that he's used for himself. And he's saying, this Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Where does he get the word Son of Man from? Daniel 7. Where Daniel's prophecy is that one would come who's like the Son of Man, and this Son of Man will have glory and dominion, and he will reign. And Jesus calling himself Son of Man that they read about in Daniel 7. He's saying, I'm the King, I'm the Lord, I'm, I'm Yahweh, and I know what the Sabbath is, and I know how the Sabbath functions because I made it. I made it. What the, the, the Pharisees were probably expecting some kind of argument that we weren't really plucking the grain. As long as you don't pluck more than three, you're okay. Or, you know, I used my left hand, but I didn't transfer it to my right hand. We're not carrying baskets. We don't have wheelbarrows or ox carts. It's just whatever we can fit in a hand. Some kind of argument like that to kind of make sense of it. And he's like, I'm not even going to argue. I'm not going to squabble about interpretations when I'm the one that makes the rules. The rules aren't for me. Right? So Jesus is pointing to his authority to define what the Sabbath is. Now, right here, we can go, yes, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. That means he can erase it. That means the Sabbath could be one of those irrelevant rules because he's Lord over it, and these dumb Pharisees are still trying to follow rules. But because we read in Matthew 5, we know that can't be true. Jesus thinks the Sabbath is very relevant. And lest we forget, when Jesus said, if you have to keep even the least of the commandments, this isn't one of the least. It's in God's top ten. A few weeks ago, we did unpack uh, the meaning of the Sabbath for today. I don't want to spend too much time on that. But I think the recording failed that day. It's not, it's not in there. Um, but the Sabbath uh, talks about setting aside a day where you rest, stop from work, and focus on the Lord. It's holy to him. And it's relevant. All the commandments are relevant, from the least to the greatest. So he's going to move into an episode now that helps us understand what Jesus actually does with it. Not erasing the Sabbath, but what does he do with it? He appropriates it. Verse 23, or uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. Again, he entered the synagogue. Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. It was stiff, it was crippled, you know, some, something happened to it, he couldn't use it. And in verse 2, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. See? You can't set a bone on the Sabbath, you can't apply first aid on the Sabbath, you can't, you can't help somebody unless they're, they're about to die, then you can help them. But if it's just somebody, an injury, you can't, you just have to wait. It's okay to help them, you just can't do it on the Sabbath. So here they are gathering in the synagogue. Perhaps one of them knew that the man with the withered hand would be there, and they thought, hey, this will be a really good opportunity because Jesus can't help himself when he sees someone in need, right? And he'll probably heal them on the Sabbath, and you can't apply help, first aid, or healing on the Sabbath, and so we'll catch them, and then we have our man. What about all this stuff that he said about fulfilling Daniel 7 and all that? I don't know, he's too hard to argue with, but let's just catch him, right? Let's just catch him on the Sabbath. And so this is their plot. This is their plan. They want to accuse him. And then verse 3, Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. 
And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. You can imagine that man, he's probably feeling a little bit like the the object of a lesson here. Come stand in front of everyone. Look, everyone, this withered hand. Can you show it, dude? Show everybody your withered hand. This is kind of awkward, you know. And he's using this man in front of everybody. But I think you'd endure the awkward moment to get what he's about to get. Verse 4, he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians, a political party, against him, how to destroy him. Not, his hand is normal. It's, yes, his hand is normal. He healed it. Now, let's get him. They don't want to answer his question because they're not concerned with the answer. Should you do good on the Sabbath or evil? Doesn't matter. You should follow the regulations of the Sabbath, and that's what's good. That's, what's, that's what matters, and you don't, and we want to kill you. Interestingly, when he poses his question, it has two parts to it. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? And then there's a phrase that kind of doesn't make sense, to save life or to kill. Well, healing the man's hand doesn't save his life. If I don't heal his hand on the Sabbath, I'm not killing him. So it kind of doesn't fit, right? He's like, is it good or evil to heal this man on the Sabbath? He's got the man in front of everybody. Everyone knows Jesus heals. He's healed fevers. He's healed uh, leprosy. He's healed... Uh, paralysis. So they know what's coming. This is why it's a setup. Is it good to heal him or is it evil to heal him? And then he says, should you save life or should you kill? It's kind of hard to fit that scenario with what he's about to do, but it perfectly fits with what the Pharisees are about to do. He knows their plot. And even the Pharisees, with their strictest rules, would say, well, if it's a matter of life and death, save the person. That's why if the house collapses and you know there's a body there, you have to check to see if the person is alive because if the person's alive, get them out because you should at least rescue life. A bone, yeah, that's kind of cruel. You can't set it. Sorry, honey, that's going to really swell pretty bad tomorrow, but don't worry, if we have to re-break it, we'll re-break it. But at least the person's alive. But even a Pharisee, even a scribe, wouldn't just let somebody die if it's the Sabbath. You at least get them to the point where they're going to live and then finish fixing them up tomorrow. And Jesus is saying, ironically, you guys are breaking your own rule by plotting my death on the Sabbath. Hypocrites. You don't care about holiness. You don't care about what God cares about. Because if you did, you'd answer my question. You can't answer my question because you are not on God's agenda. You just want to kill the only one that can rescue you from your own failures. None of you can live up to your own rules and regulations. You need to be saved from that weight and that burden. You need someone who can fulfill all the law. And the reason why Jesus has to come and fulfill it is because we can't. And as soon as you get a sign of hope, you'd rather kill that hope than admit that you can't do it. So he has the man stretch out his hand. He heals him. 
it's restored, and the Pharisees leave, and immediately they hold counsel to figure out how can we destroy him, and they need the Herodians' help because they need to figure out, okay, he's broken Jewish law, how can we convince that it's a, 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 an offense on the Roman law, and let's get this together so we can make sure that we have the Romans' permission to kill this man. There's a verse in Deuteronomy 30, we'll put it up here for you, where God talks about what the intent behind his law is. Why does God give laws in the Old Testament? What is the purpose? After giving his laws, he gives the commandment again. Deuteronomy means law again, second time you're getting the law. And he says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. So you see what Jesus is doing in his question Let's go back to what God meant by giving us commandments. What is God's intention behind the law? To strap us and weigh us down? Or to help and to do good and to bring life? If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So there, Moses is making clear as he communicates this from Yahweh to the people. God's purpose in the laws is to facilitate your loving the Lord your God. The laws are for life. The laws are for doing good. And that's how you love God, by doing good, loving Him, and loving neighbor. When you look at the Ten Commandments, And you'll notice there's two tables. The first four laws are vertical. They're about honoring God, not taking his name in vain, and not cheating on him with idols and graven images. And you take one day and you make it holy to him. That's vertical. You respond to God in the first table. And then the second table is horizontal. Don't kill your neighbor. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor. Neighbor laws. In the Ten Commandments. And the hinge that bridges between the vertical commandments and the horizontal commandments is the Sabbath command. The Sabbath commandment sits right in between the commands that teach us to love God and the commands that teach us to love others. Because we do the Sabbath to honor the Lord, but we do the Sabbath together. And when we're together, you see someone that's in need and you don't meet that need because that's how you're going to honor the Lord. God is saying, you can't honor me vertically if you don't love someone horizontally. You see someone needy, you don't help them, and you think you're doing that out of honor to me? That dishonors me. Because the whole point of the laws are to love me. And if you love God, say you love God, and hate your brother, you're a liar. John teaches us. So what Jesus is doing in this passage is using this as an example to demonstrate why they missed the Old Testament laws. The reason why they missed it is because of their hardness of hearts, right? What angers Jesus and grieves him when he brings the guy in front of everybody and he asks the question, should I do good or evil right now? And no one has an answer. And he's angered and grieved at what? At their hardness of heart. They, they don't understand that, that view of the law. The law is something, it's a hoop to go through, and I can get through the hoop and make it on my own. I want to do that. That's righteous pride. 
I want to be able to make it to heaven and go, ha ha! I pushed, and sometimes it was tough, sometimes it was tough, but you know, we just added a few more laws, and we just broke those habits, and we did it. And God, Jesus is here to take that from them. You can't earn that trophy. It's not possible. And they're going, stop stealing our trophy. I'm going to kill you. That's what's happening. But Jesus is saying that you don't understand the law if you don't understand that the intent of the law is to love God and love neighbor. And the reason why you resist that being the case is because you know you can't love God and love neighbor well. And if you can't love God and love neighbor well because your hearts are hard, then you're out. So what does it take? How do we really honor the Sabbath today? How do we honor these laws, these rules? Even New Testament commands, Ephesians 5. No crude joking. No foolish talk must come out of your mouths. Paul says. Well, what's crude? What's coarse? Many of us will say, you can't say, oh my God, unless it's like in a worship song. Can I say, oh my goodness, oh my gosh? Can I go, geez, as long as I don't put us at the end of it? Some Christians would say, no, no, you can't even do that. You've got to take it one step further back. Because G sounds too much like Jesus, and gosh, everybody knows what you're really saying is God. So you can't say that. Can I say, oh my, and just leave it? Okay, maybe. Maybe some Christians would say, no, because everyone's waiting for that next one, and you're just reminding them of other people that say, oh my God, and you can't say, oh my God, so, and you can't really say, oh my gosh, and oh my reminds you of that, so don't say that. How about, oh! <laughs> and so we have our own pharisaical, you know, kind of intramural battles about how to live out even the New Testament. And we miss it too. When the point of not using crude jokes is to love your neighbor who may be the brunt of that joke. If that joke hurts somebody else's feelings, 90% of the room laughs, but there's a 10% that doesn't find it funny, don't use the stinking joke or apologize if you said it. How do I know it's crude? How do I know it's coarse? If it doesn't love God and love people, well, how do I know what's love? We don't because our hearts are hard. And we need a heart transplant. That's what the Pharisees needed. That's what the scribes needed. That's what his disciples needed. That's what we need. I don't understand the intent of the law. If I can't love like Jesus loved, then I can't love like Jesus loves unless he rescues me from my own hard heart and fulfills the Old Testament promise that God will take our hearts of stone and replace them with a heart of flesh. So now we can live the way he calls us to live. So, those of you that remember that message I had on the Sabbath, I leaned a little hard. And I don't think it's Saturday, and I don't think it's, it's exactly the same exact thing as the Old Testament. I think the principle is there. I think it's in the Ten Commandments for a reason. And those of us that skip church on Sundays, the Lord's Day, John calls it, Resurrection Sunday, to put in a little more work, to squeeze out a little bit more that you weren't able to do during the week, and the thing that takes the hit is you're gathering together with a congregation on that one day a week that's been set aside for that specific purpose, yeah, I think that's not living what God intended, what he built into the creation order when he created the world. Work six, rest one. On the other hand, 
we can become super strict. Where's Joe? He usually sits here. What happened? That dude better be on his deathbed. Or I'm telling the elders. We don't do that. We can see how we can get close to that. Hmm. Vacation? Hmm. Vacations don't count. Do vacations count? Let's call pastor. Let's look it up. Can it be a vacation? How sick is sick? Well, if it's contagious, then it shouldn't come because then I wouldn't love people. But yeah. We can be very easily fall into the trap. What is the purpose of the Sabbath? To love the Lord. I want to get to church because I love the Lord. I want to get to church because if I miss church, it's kind of like breaking the Sabbath. It's kind of breaking what we're supposed to be doing. Hebrews tells us, don't give up meeting together. I gave up meeting together today. Ugh. Or is it, man, I need to be encouraged by the other saints because I get easily discouraged. And the author of Hebrews tells us one of the functions of gathering together is the mutual encouragement that we need to stir one another toward good works. Because which book of the Bible has five warnings about falling away? Hebrews. So what's the solution in Hebrews 10.25? Get together. Not because it's a law, but because that's how you love one another and that's how you love the Lord. Last week, a brother told me uh, that he had to, on a Sunday, made it to church, but on a Sunday, had to go back to work because there was a power outage and the employees are in the dark and he's got to make sure that things are fixed over there. My initial response wasn't, thankfully by God, wasn't, oh my goodness, on a Sunday? On the Lord's day, you're going into work? It was, wow, I can tell this guy doesn't want to because it's a Sunday, but the reason why he's going to is because somebody needs his help. And guys, that was always the intent of the Sabbath. That was always the intent behind the laws. It's not, oh, now in the New Testament time. It was always the intent. That's why it was in Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus teaches that wraps up all the law. So the reason why we struggle, and the reason why we grow up in churches that are legalistic and overbearing, and they wear white gloves, and they're constantly checking the dust on the shelf of your holiness, is because we don't understand the love intent behind it. And the reason why the other extreme happens where we don't care about holiness, and we don't care what movie we watch, and we're just free. We don't care what language we use. They don't get it either. The only way to get the intent of the law, to get juice out of even your, your Old Testament, even your New Testament, you're in Ephesians 5, of course joking command, to, to, to understand how those commands shape us and form us is not to go, here's the list. Oh, Paul added to the list. Thanks, Paul. We have all these Old Testament lists. Now we'll have, no, we have a new one about crude joking. Thanks a lot. No. They're just examples to show you. This is what it's like to love people. They shouldn't be the brunt of your jokes. We shouldn't have to tell each other that, but sometimes we need to remind each other of that. Instead of going, ha ha, we're just joking, man. Get a sense of humor. No, you get a sense of humor. Because it's not biblical. That reminds us, okay, my grid is how I love people. The grid isn't what, what, the kind, of, what kind of joke it is. The grid is, is this, how does this land? Does this love people? Does this honor the Lord. So, Jesus agrees. Shouldn't work on the Sabbath. Somebody needs help, you help them. Why? Because that's how you honor the Sabbath. You honor the Sabbath by loving one another. And you need me 
to rescue you from your hardness to be able to see that. Right? Now let's pray. Father, those of us who tend toward the extreme of legalism, we recognize, God, that uh, we need to be rescued from our pride that deceives us into thinking that we can perform and we can go through all the hoops and we can match all the law. And those of us maybe that are, find ourselves leaning toward the other extreme of not really caring about what's holy and not really even reading the Old Testament sometimes because it's just all so irrelevant and not trying to understand why you put those there to teach us about your character, and to teach us how to love you and love others. So Lord, we pray that you would rescue us from both of those extremes and bring us to a place where we recognize the value of what you teach us in your word, that we would do the work that it takes to kind of dig and see behind those laws, what, what are you getting at? How is that loving you? And how is that loving others? So that we can live like that today. Your law teaches us your character, and we want to be like your son Jesus. But our hearts are not fully formed. Those of us that are saved, we're believers, Lord. You've done the heart transplant, but we still need work. We still need to be taught, trained in righteousness. We need to be corrected, reproved at times. So we ask that you would continue to use your word to shape us, teach us your heart, so that we can do the good work of loving you and loving neighbor. We ask you for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen.